it is so wonderful to be here. My claim to fame is not that I've been at North Point the longest, although it has been a majority of my life. My claim to fame is that I am the only person in the church to have lived on either side of the church. <laughs> you see, most of you don't know this, but if you've been here longer than 10 years probably, there used to be a house on the other side of the church, right beyond where the tent currently is. It's been torn down since then. And when my family first moved here to Toledo, that's where we lived for the first two, three years of our lives. Well, now fast forward to today, and I've lived in the other side of the church now for the past four years in the church parsonage over there with the volleyball court, and it has been absolutely wonderful. I don't remember much about those early years when we first moved here. I remember that I think there was gold carpet, maybe, um, and royal blue pews. I remember it was kind of dingy, kind of smelly, and there wasn't too many people here yet. And I do remember this, though. There was an early evening, late afternoon, and there was a knock at the door while we were living next door. And we came out, and we were greeted by the church being on fire. Not metaphorically, not figuratively, but the church was literally on fire. I'm talking flames everywhere, firemen coming, hoses, the whole nine yards. You see, the builders, they were redoing the roof at that point in time, and one of the builders had set the building on fire. The damage was so bad, and there was smoke damage everywhere, that we were actually forced to leave the building. For about two years, we were forced to get out of the building. And Emmanuel Baptist, a church down the road, they're gracious enough to allow us to use Emmanuel Christian's gymnasium. So for about two years, our church met at Emmanuel Christian. Is anybody here when we met during those years? Yeah, so quite a few of you. I remember it. We would do Christmas pageants. We would have Krispy Kreme donuts every Sunday morning. And all the kids would run and see how many they could fit in their mouth. Well, eventually we moved back, and I don't know what, at what point in time, but we renamed the church from Harvest Christian or Harvest Lane to North Point, and that was probably about 20 years or so ago. I remember we bought this bus. It was this big old school bus. On one side was blue, and the other side was orange, so it's two colors. And we would drive this bus for life groups, we would drive this bus for student ministries, and we would drive this bus for VBS. And the thing I remember the most about the bus was that it always seemed to be broken. You see, if you know Pastor Brad, and if you've driven with him, you know that he loves to go as fast as possible over the speed bumps. And so after going over enough speed bumps, I think the bus just gave up and we had to sell it. Those were some good years. Those early years of my own life, that's when the seeds of faith were planted in my heart. That's where I began to come to know who God was. I began to come to know his love for me and the life that he might have for me. The seeds of faith were being planted, maybe like seeds of faith being planted in your own children. Or maybe seeds of faith that are being planted currently now in your own hearts and lives. It wasn't until though I was about 13 where I was able to go to a middle school camp. And at this middle school camp, I remember getting out of the van. I was greeted by about 500 other middle school students. And some of you are like, wow, I can't even imagine what that would have smelled like. But for me, that was one of the best weeks of my life. I have a picture of myself when I was there, about 13 years old. It's a little dark, but I got this long Justin Bieber hair, and I had this SpongeBob hat. And you can't tell, but on the bottom of the SpongeBob hat, I had a bunch of signatures from all of my friends. I had about 13, 14, 15 people go ahead and sign and maybe even put their number so that we could stay in contact. Well, that wasn't the best part of the week. The best part of the week was actually this was a week where I decided to follow Jesus Christ. You see, that week of my life, that is the week that I knew the love of Christ intimately. 
And I knew that he cared for me, and I knew that he had a plan for my life. And I remember that week deciding to follow him and forever being changed. The love of Christ filled my heart so much so that I knew that I had to do one thing exactly for the rest of my life. I knew that I could do nothing else but commit my life to telling other people about the love of Christ as well so that they too might know his love. That week was pretty incredible. But fast forward 13 years later, I go from 13 to now I'm 26, and I had the opportunity to be the youth pastor here at North Point, the church that I grew up at, and it's been so sweet. But this past week in particular, my wife and I, Maria, we were able to take our youth group to this same exact camp. And before we go on, I just want to share a little bit about the fruit of it. There was 19 kids in total from our youth group that were there. And it was so much fun. I have quite a few pictures. At this camp, we were able to play Gaga Ball. We were able to play Nine Square. We were able to play, like, that's a gel blaster game, like a little paintball type thing, but little water orbs. We were able to swim, hang out in the pool, have lots of ice cream. I don't know if you can see, but he's double fisting chocolate ice cream cones. And it was just an absolute blast. We had the time of our lives. But as much fun as it was, neither my wife, Maria, or I were prepared for what God was going to do while we were there. This is another picture I can't help but describe. This is a game called Tire Wars, and that's our student named Marco. And the purpose of this game was that the tires would be filled up in the middle, and there was fire hoses spraying, and the students would all be released. They would be like, all right, we're going to send three middle school boys. And they'd send the three middle school boys to run and grab as many tires as they could possibly grab and carry back. But all the while, they're running through mud, and they're falling at first, and Everyone's fighting for a tire. It was pretty incredible. But more so incredible than that, neither Maria or I were prepared for what God would do in the lives of our students that week. And I just want to share a little bit of the fruit. So out of the the 19 students, you see, at the end of every night, we would have a wrap time. After the sermon and the worship, our youth group would come together, and we'd get to sit in a circle, and I'd ask the students, hey, what's maybe one thing that God was speaking to you? That's a good question to ask yourself. Or, hey, maybe what was your favorite part of the worship and the message? Or, hey, um, what's one thing that you want to share? And I would constantly ask the questions, and my my encouragement to the students was, hey, I just want to challenge you to take one step of faith closer to Jesus while you're here. You don't have to go 10 steps. You don't have to be 15 steps. I just want you to take one step. I want you to think about and identify one step of faith that you might be able to take while you're here. And at the end of the, every night, the students would share what God might be doing in their life. And out of the 19 students that were from our youth group were there, every single one of them at one point or another said something along the lines of they felt like God was working in their life. They felt like they were coming to know more about who Jesus was, every single one of the students. And out of those 19 students, get this, this is quite amazing, three of them felt called by God to be missionaries when they graduate from high school. Three of them. That's pretty incredible. Three different students felt called by God to be missionaries. And out of the 19 students, one of them was filled with the Holy Spirit in a way that I can't even fully describe this morning. And not only that, but the cherry on top of it all was one of them decided to follow Jesus Christ for the first time in his life. And that's a story. Yeah, we can clap for that. Thanks, Lord. And I want to tell you that story because I think it's worthwhile and I think it's powerful and it ties in so dearly to our message this morning. You see, we're going to call him Logan, okay? Logan is a middle school boy. He's younger, and in the middle of the day, um, we're playing this game called GORE. It stands for Group Object Relay, 
okay? And in the, what the purpose of this game was the kids would run from the mass of students, they'd grab a bouncy ball, and then they'd have to do this obstacle course. And so we have a lot of pictures of this obstacle course. They'd have to jump over tires, they'd have to go under tires, they'd have to get on their hands and knees and army crawl. And all the while, while they're crawling, their knees are getting cut up, they're getting mud in their face, they're swallowing water, and I'm running alongside of them, taking pictures, cheering them on, I'm like, yeah, let's go, this is awesome. You're having the time of your life. You came here for this. Cheering them on, you know, and by the end of the course, you know, they're just like dazed and confused and like, where do I go next? Or slipping in the mud. This is a picture of Nate and they crawl through the barrels and they are greeted by this giant puddle of water that they just fall face first into. And this particular student, Logan, that's not his real name. I'll just censor it though. Logan comes up to me and says, Caleb, I I don't think I can do that. Like, oh yeah, sure. I know what you. I know what you're thinking. You're like you just, you just don't want to get wet and you don't want to get muddy. He goes, no, like my back's hurting. And so I said, okay, you know what? Well, like everybody should try it at least once. So I want you to just go. And so he said, all right, you know, I'll do it. And so he does the chorus. He does it really slowly, but he comes back and he has the biggest smile on his face. He absolutely loved it. I go, how was it, Logan? And he goes, that was amazing. But like my back is really hurting. I'm like, okay, like great. I'm so glad you did it. Like go ahead and go ahead and take a seat. Like this is awesome. Um, after that, we go back to the dorms, the, the, the cabins, the lodges, whatever you want to call it. And we wash up, we shower, we go to dinner. And then following dinner would be a service. And um, before the service would start, they would let the youth leaders in first. That way we could go ahead and, like, save our rows. Because imagine, there's 600 middle school and high school students at this camp. And so 600 students all coming in at the same time, it would be kind of impossible to find a seat. So the youth leaders, what we would do is before they let the students in, they'd come up and we'd stand on the chairs. And we'd start waving our arms. All the youth pastors all across the room, we'd start waving our arms. We're not worshiping, but we're calling the students to come find us. Come sit in our row. And while I'm standing up on the chair waving, you know, I can't really see the students. I'm trying to pick them up. One of them comes from behind and grabs my shirt and he grabs it, pulls, pulls, pulls. He goes, Caleb, Caleb, Caleb. And I turn around. I go, like, what? And he says, Logan is in the cabin. He's laying down on the bed and he can't get up. His back is hurting him. I go, oh, like, okay, thanks. Like, go ahead, take a seat. And I'm starting to think to myself, okay, what am I going to do? And I got to, okay. Once all of our students have made it in um, and found a seat, then I'll go to the cabin and I'll see what's happening and see if he needs help or see if, you know, he's just not wanting to come to service, see what's going on. And so I'm sitting there and literally before I finish that thought, I get another tug on the back of my shirt and I turn around and it's Logan. And I turn around and Logan's looking at me. He's got this big smile on his face and goes, Caleb, you'll never guess what happened. I go, what? He said, I was laying in bed and a security card came and said that I had to leave and come to the service. And I told him I couldn't because my back was hurting. And the next thing I know, he offered to pray for me. And while he's praying for me, the pain in my back went away. And it's gone. And I look at him and I said, no way, you're kidding me, right? He said, no, I, I swear. And I said, well, what do you think happened? He said, I think God healed me. I said, wow. I said, Logan, go ahead, you know, take a seat. Like, I'm so glad you're here. And so the two of us sit down and... I start thinking to myself, like, wow, Lord, that's incredible. Like, what are you going to do tonight? Like, what are you doing? What are you speaking? Why do you want him here? What are you trying to show him? What are you trying to show me? I don't remember too much about the message, but he taught, and it was a call to follow Jesus. Um, fairly similar to the call that I received when I was 13 and decided to follow him. Well, at the end of the service, um, they would invite the youth pastors forward to come stand at the front of the altar and then they would invite the students to come forward, and if the students wanted to receive prayer, they could come up to a youth pastor, whether it was their own or somebody else, and they could receive prayer. 
And so I'm standing up there, and the first student to come forward to me was Logan. And I look at him, I said, Logan, like, what do you want me to pray for you for? And he said, I just want to get saved. And so I sat there, and we prayed together, and Logan accepted Christ for the first time in his life that night. That's amazing. And so I tell that story because that night, Logan made a decision to follow Christ. Logan said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I just want to get saved. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how to do it, but I know that I need you in my life. And Logan prayed, and he asked Christ into his heart that night. A similar decision that I made 13 years prior. And friends and family, our text this morning presents the same kind of question. So if you turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18, we're going to dive into God's word. 1 Kings chapter 18. Last week we were in 1 Kings chapter 17 and Ryan spoke. And Ryan um, introduced us to this guy named Elijah. Elijah was a prophet, which means somebody who could speak for God. And Elijah was zealous. He was full of faith and he loved the Lord and he loved the Lord's commandments. And so when confronted with injustice, Elijah marches into King Ahab's court and he says, Ahab, it's not going to rain until I say so. Then Elijah flees and we read last week and Ryan taught on how Elijah went out into the desert and God provided for Elijah and God did miraculous things in Elijah's life. Well, the story in 1 Kings chapter 18 picks up exactly three years later from when that happened. Read with me in verse 1. It says, later on in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him that I will soon stain rain. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Now we're going to jump forward to verse 17 because that's where the story begins to pick up and gain traction. Verse 17. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets on Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, and this is a key verse, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. So the people of Israel at this point in time, they go back and forth from worshiping Baal to worshiping God. They say, Baal is God. No, Yahweh is God. No, we're going to trust in Baal for our crops. We're going to trust in Baal for our harvest. But then we're going to come over here and also fulfill our religious duties. They were living a double life. So Elijah challenges them and he presents this question. He says, choose this day who you will follow. If Baal is God, then follow him. But if Yahweh is God, then follow him, the God of Israel. The people are silent. So now what Elijah does is something interesting. Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal and Asherah to a duel of some sort. He says, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to build an altar with stones and then put wood on it and a bowl. And I'm also going to build an altar with stones and then wood and then a bowl on it. But here's the thing. We're not going to light either of the altars on fire. Whatever, I, whatever what either altar lights on fire, that is how we will know who the true God is. And so he lets the prophets of Baal and Asherah go first. And they start whooping and they start hollering and they start crying out to their God for the first part of the morning into the late afternoon. And it says there was no sound, there was no reply. 
And so I love this. At that point in time, Elijah begins to kind of challenge him. He says, hey, maybe your God's sleeping. Maybe your God's out on a walk. Maybe he's relieving himself using the restroom. He says, maybe if you yell louder, you could wake him up. I love what the text says in verse 28. It says, so they shouted louder and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of evening sacrifice, but there was still no sound, no reply, and no response. You see, Baal, this false god, was absolutely powerless to show up. Why? He was lifeless. There was no life in worshiping Baal. There was nothing to be found there. And when put to the test, he was not able to produce fire. So Elijah says, okay, now it's my turn. Elijah's there. He's not with 450 other prophets, but he's there by himself. And so what he does is he, he gathers some of the people of Israel. He says, hey, come and help me. And he has them build, rebuild the altar. It's interesting that the text says that because, it, because they had to rebuild the altar, it implies that the people of Baal and Asher, while they were worshiping, while they were raving, that they tore down the Lord's altar. And so Elijah has the people of Israel rebuild the altar stone by stone, put the wood back on. And then he says something interesting. He says, dig a trench around the perimeter of the altar. Why a trench or maybe a moat? Elijah's next command to them is he says, hey, fill four jars of water. And I want you to take those four jars of water, and I want you to dump it over the wood. People begin to do it, and they're probably looking to themselves like, is this guy crazy? The wood's soaking wet now. Elijah says, do it two more times. The Bible says that the wood was so wet that, that actually the trench around the altar was overflowing with water. It's soaking wet, like a fresh thunderstorm had just rolled through and we pick up now, I think, in verse 36. The wood's soaking wet. The water's running over. And it says this in verse 36. At the usual time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are the Lord God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all of this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have brought them back to yourself. I love that verse right there, that God, you have brought the people back to yourself. That's a powerful phrase. Verse 38, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Friends, salvation is here. And that is a call that I want to echo Elijah's call. Choose this day who you will follow. It's time to make a decision. It's time to stop flopping, flipping back and forth from following this philosophy for your life to following Jesus's for your life. It's time this day to make a decision. Friends, I want this for you. I want this for our community. I want this for your children because I've seen firsthand, I've experienced the life-changing transformation power of the gospel. In Elijah's day, fire that fell from heaven was a witness, power, and testimony that the Lord is who he was. God proved himself on that day. In the day of Jesus Christ, God proved himself who he was by raising his son from the dead. And friends, today God is still calling us back to himself, proving to us who he is. That night that Logan accepted Christ as Savior, when we were sitting in our rap time, that time where everybody could share, I had Logan go ahead and share last about what God had done in his life that night. 
And as we get to him, Logan shares that he accepted Christ for the first time. And all, all the students start clapping. We're all filled with such joy. We know that God had just done a miracle, that he had called one of his children back to himself. And then Logan says this, and I'll never forget these words. He says, I finally feel like I belong somewhere. This isn't coming from an 18-year-old. This isn't coming from a 25-year-old, a 40-year-old. This is coming from a 13-year-old boy. So you know it's true when he says it. He said, I finally feel like I belong somewhere. And that's the call of salvation. Salvation is called to come and belong. Come and experience life that God has for you. And how do I know this to be true? Because not only did Logan accept Christ, but guess what? I preached the same message an hour ago, and someone came forward and said, I want to receive Christ today. So at the end of service, we'll give you another opportunity to come forward and receive prayer and accept Christ. If Christ is pulling on your heart, you know, I've never made a decision to follow Christ, and I'm ready. I want to follow him. I want to commit my life to him. But guess what? This message is for everybody in this room. It's not just for the people that have never decided to follow Christ and God's speaking to you. But the message is for everybody in this room. You see, following Jesus and being, believing in him and being set free, that's only the first part of the gospel. There's actually a second part of the gospel that we don't talk about enough and we don't live enough and we don't experience it enough. You see, when we follow Jesus, we, when we believe in him, we're set free. But also, when we follow Jesus, we are transformed by the Holy Spirit. And I want to come back to that. Be what it means to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. But before that, I want to define the word salvation because that's the word that we're talking about. So what does it mean to be saved? Okay, so I've asked a few questions. The first one is what is salvation? And I let scripture speak for it. Let us, let us, let us define what scripture says about salvation. In Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, Paul writes this. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. There it is. What is salvation? Salvation is the good news about how God makes us right in his sight. Okay. Well, who is salvation for? That's the next question you should be asking yourself. Who is salvation for and why do we need it? Romans chapter 3, verses 22 through 23. These are good to write down, maybe to come back to. Paul writes again, he says, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Who is this true for? Everyone. Verse 23, why do we need salvation? For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. Why do we need it? Because we have all sinned and fallen short. Friends, family, you don't have to drive very far down the road to know that something is not right, that something is not as it ought to be, that there might be a little too much violence in the world, or maybe a lot of it too much violence, that there might be a little bit too much anger in the world, that there might be a little bit too much hatred or greed in the world. And you think to yourself, this is not as things should be. Well, the Bible affirms that reality and says, you're right. This is not how things should be. Why? Because we've all sinned. And there's something living with us called sin that distorts God's good creation, that's changed the world for the worse. And so because we've all sinned, we all need salvation. And so the next question is, well, how do we receive salvation? And I love this verse. It comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 38. You see, when Peter was preaching one morning, he was preaching a similar message about Jesus Christ. And then the people were cut to the heart. So they said, what must we do, Peter? And Peter replies this. 
He says, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the Holy Spirit. You see, the first part about receiving salvation is repenting from your sin. The saying, Jesus, the way that I've been living my life isn't quite working. Something's not adding up. I need your help. I need your intervention. And you're turning your face to Jesus. You said, Jesus, I need you. I don't know what the step after this looks like, but Jesus, I need you. I repent of my sins. The second part of salvation is to believe. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10 says this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you openly declare and if you believe in your heart, friends, salvation is a matter of repenting and believing. And like I said, this is... This, these two things, they're the first part of the gospel. When we repent and when we believe, we are set free. But there's a second part of the gospel, and that's living under the power of the Holy Spirit. Hayden, if you could put that last quote up. You see, in Elijah's day, it was fire that fell from heaven that was a witness, power, and the testimony that the Lord is God, right? In Elijah's day, fire from, fell from heaven, and everybody knew that the Lord is God. Then they began to praise him. But in our day, it's not fire that falls from heaven. It's fire that fills our life. That is the witness, power, and testimony about who God is. What do I mean by that? When the Holy Spirit fills our life, that is the power, witness, testimony that the Lord is who he says he is. When the Lord fills our life with the Holy Spirit and it begins to produce fruit, that is the witness, power, and testimony that God is who he says he is. Friends, if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, if we're not producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit and using the gifts of the Holy Spirit, how will people know? That's the second part of the gospel. We're set free, but then we receive power to live our lives as Christians. And so the first thing that I alluded to was the fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you grew up in kids' church, you probably heard of them, you probably sung them as a song, and you probably thought, oh, this is a great idea. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Well, guess what? When we follow Jesus, we're filled with power, and the power is one of the, part, part of it only, part of it is the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And so you got to ask yourself the question, if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, are the fruits of the Holy Spirit being evidenced in my life? Because the fruits of the Holy Spirit is part of the power that's going to let other people know that Jesus is who he says he is. Friends, family, I want you to look in and say, Lord, like, help me to, to practice these. Help me to become more evident in my life. So the first part of the Holy Spirit filling us is that we receive the fruits of the Holy Spirit. The second part, and I've already alluded to it, is that we receive power. Okay, This comes from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Some of you know this verse, but Jesus is speaking. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And this power will help you to be my witnesses all throughout the ends of the earth. You see, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it is the power that gives us testimony to tell others about the love and grace of Jesus Christ. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us power to be kind. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us power to go ahead and pray for one another. You see, this message is for everybody. It's not just for those who haven't accepted Christ, but this message is a challenge to you that have been living here in the church and, and the gifts and the fruit of the Holy Spirit aren't that evident in your life. This message is for myself. I don't know about you, but I need more of the fruits of the Holy Spirit in my life. And so here I am this morning and say, Lord, come and fill me. I need your help. I repent. Jesus, I want the gifts and the fruit of the Holy Spirit to be evident in my life. And so I turn to you. I give you my life that you might be glorified. This is a message for everyone. Are you here?